In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 35 of the Feelin' Film podcast. This is the first of two episodes without my usual co-host, Patrick, as he is currently in Kenya doing some mission work. Joining me this week in his place is friend of the show and host of the underrated podcast, Gabriel Green. We are excited to talk about Serenity, one of our favorite science fiction films. Gabe, thanks for coming on, man. I am really glad to have you. How have you been? I am doing really good. I'm really glad to be here, too. That's awesome. I, You know, it's been a while. We've talked about having you on, and uh, it's nice that this kind of happened to allow for that uh, in a roundabout way, you know, with Patrick having to be gone for a couple episodes. It, it opens up that opportunity and gives us a chance to connect finally. Yeah, I love this movie. We're talking about a whole bunch, so I'm definitely excited. Awesome. Well, since you're filling in, you get to answer the important question that we always start off the show with first, and that is... What have you been watching recently? And do you have any recommendations that you want to make for everyone to, that's listening right now? Uh, yeah, I've seen, uh, I guess, two films that I want to mention recently. The first one was Edge of Seventeen. It's a, uh, mm. yeah, it's a kind of a coming coming of age story starring uh, Haley Steinfeld, and I really really like this movie. I think it it paints a very real and raw portrait of kind of just just how broken our culture is, especially relationally. And unlike with a lot of these teen movies, I think the solutions it gives are actually pro are decent solutions. Usually I think they're pretty bad. So, (laughs) so I I appreciated that. The acting is great all around. Um, Yeah. Haley Steinfeld. I, I, I've been watching her really closely ever since like true grit where she like blew me away in that. But uh, I think this is, this is like a whole nother level. And how good she is. Um, just a really sweet coming of age story that's also feels very real and raw. It's also very funny. It's just I think it's just an all around great feel good film. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's one I definitely want to catch. I've been debating, you know, whether or not to go see that one in the theater, simply because I just typically don't see that type of movie in the theater. You know, like yeah. I, I want to spend money on a big blockbuster with cool visuals. Um, but I have a movie pass that I got uh, for December that allows me to go to unlimited movies. So there's going to be this incredible period from like December to early January. And I've already mapped it out. And there's probably 12 films that I'm planning on trying to get to. Uh, so that and that's on my list now. I'm putting it on there because, heck, why not, right? If, I, if it's going to be yeah. free, it's worth it. And uh, I've heard really good things about it. So I'm excited to hear another another good review from somebody Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and the other movie I want to mention is uh, The Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. I saw it a couple of days Ooh. back. Um, This is a series I, – I read the books. I enjoy the books. Um, But what I really love about this series is mainly the direction. I think the guy, Wes Ball, the director, he's – this is his uh, – the first Maze Runner film was his first film. This is his second film or feature film. And honestly – I think I can say I think based on what I've seen in these films, like I think he's probably one of the best action directors that I've seen working in like blockbuster filmmaking. 
Um, he's taken these stories that really have no right to make great films. So they're, 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 you know, your standard YA and turn them into these really tense, exciting thrillers with incredible action scenes. I think he's really good with actors. And so I, I, I will freely admit that the story in both of them is kind of nonsensical, but I really enjoy these movies just because I think the action and just quality of the filmmaking is so well made. They're so well made. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually really like them a lot too. And especially there's, there's one sequence uh, in the scorch trials that I can remember uh, when they're escaping the facility and Mm -hmm. they're in the, well, they're in the town um, and there's just, I mean, I, I remember it, it almost felt like transformers and some, it was like some Michael Bay action. I mean, at, at points and it was just incredible the way that they handled it. It was when the, I don't want to call them zombies, but they really, they, they act like zombies in, <laughs> in the movie uh-huh. version, cranks. the cranks, they act like they feel like they're zombies when they're coming at uh-huh. them. Um, but I just remember like this glass room falling and them trying to, as you know, manage and maneuver through the 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 collapsing room, and that was a really awesome scene in that one. And there was another great scene at the end of it, um, you know, when they get captured, recaptured, <laughs> um, after coming upon the camp. Yeah. And there's there's a nice little battle that goes on there that's that's really well filmed too. I like that series a lot. It's actually my second probably favorite. Uh, well, book. It's it's interesting because book wise. I my favorite series is the Diver- Divergent series from really? a from a literary standpoint. I would rank them the Divergent series, Hunger Games, and then the Maze Runner. But from a movie standpoint, I rank them probably Hunger Games, Maze Runner, and then Divergent uh, because I was just very disappointed, unfortunately, with the uh, enti- with the entirety of the Divergent series. The first movie was not bad, but uh-huh. kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, I I like the first movie because I think Triss is a much more likable character than Katniss is. But, oh, uh, yeah. They're after that. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I think the first Maze Runner film is like this perfectly contained little horror thriller action, whatever. And like uh, speaking of the action, there are some scenes, like two chase scenes in particular, where every time I watch them, I almost forget to breathe while they're happening just because of how intense and how, how well he creates the momentum in these scenes. You're just, you're just on the edge of your seat. And you, as they, when they finally end, you're like, kind of like loosen yourself up because you've been so tense. Oh yeah. That's well, that to me, that's like the definition right there of yeah. excellent horror and excellent thriller is when it gives you that feeling and that raw, like that actual physical effect that it, it changes your body chemistry somewhat and it, that's that's a powerful thing so that's awesome yeah. man yeah those are those are great movies both of them um that you've apparently great experiences you had so that's great i watched um <laughs> i had a i had myself a little nick cage night this past week and uh-huh. i i don't know where that well i do know where this came from um one of my buddies on facebook had some thread that was going on and i'm trying to remember what it was i think he had asked a question about what one thing, if you could reach into any movie and pull out one thing, what would it be? And someone had answered Eleanor, which is the car, Nick, Nicholas Cage's character's like dream car from Gone in 60 Seconds. And it started this 
this entire little conversation about Gone in 60 Seconds. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I haven't seen that in forever. That was an awesome movie. <laughs> so I was like, well, why not, right? And, and you can't, I was like, yeah, I got the whole night. I'm not going to just watch one Nick Cage movie. And I had uh, I had thrown it out there for suggestions from uh, the Feelin' Film Facebook group. And it was awesome because this, this thread was huge. I was very surprised, honestly, at the amount of responses it got. Um, but, you know, people were throwing out, you know, suggestions left and right. And I ultimately, I decided, I've seen Con Air recently, and it's probably my favorite of the action-y Nick Cage movies. But I had not seen The Rock since uh, I was a kid, honestly. I think it came out in the mid-90s, and or I guess I was a teenager at that point. Um, and I haven't seen it since then. So I watched Gone in 60 Seconds and The Rock back to back and both for my money of free <laughs> held up uh, extremely well. They were very enjoyable experiences. My take on Gone in 60 Seconds was that it was more corny than I remembered it, uh, which is not surprising, you know, to be honest. But it felt a lot like a Michael Bay Armageddon to me. There's a crew up that takes place and we get to meet all of our different characters and where they're at right now. And they're coming back together kind of as part of a team, putting together this elite group. Um, and then there, there's even this, you know, the great scene of where there's a, a song that they're all like using to get in the vibe. And in, in, um, Gone in 60 Seconds, it's Lowrider. And in Armageddon, it's, I'm leaving on a jet plane. And it just, they had such similar vibes to them. Obviously, one's about saving the world and the other's, you know, about saving a brother. But, um, yeah, it, it was a good, it was a lot of fun. The dialogue was, you know, perfectly campy <laughs> in a way that is just <laughs> enjoyable without, it, it, it's, it's, it's just that dialogue that makes you laugh. Like it, you laugh while shaking your head at the same time going, this is horrible. So I don't know. It was fun. Uh, the rock held up really well, I thought. Doesn't have that same humor to it. It's more of an action blockbuster. Michael Bay. And I just, I don't know, man. I like Michael Bay. I have to say it. Patrick's not here to like stone me through the computer. <laughs> so thank, thankfully I can say this. He'll listen back on this episode. And he'll be like, this is what happens when I leave. Aaron starts praising my, my nemesis because he is <laughs> not a Michael Bay fan. But yeah, sometimes he just, I just got to let go, you know, lay back and say, I, I enjoy this crazy, wacky stuff. I, admire Michael Bay's ability to craft incredible action sequences. I also think that he is horrific at crafting a coherent narrative. Oh, he's terrible. At career. I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> Wouldn't so, argue it at all. <laughs> which is weird because then he'll make a film like 13 hours, which I think is like a legitimately good film. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because – People go see 13 Hours. If you're out there and you're listening to this right now, you probably did not watch that movie because it came out in January, which is like the death time for movies, January, February. What is 13, hour, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi? It has a dumb title. Yeah. Secret, Secret Soldiers, Soldiers of Benghazi. But yeah, I agree, man. It's probably one of his best films, honestly. And nobody's seen it. Yeah, everyone says his best is The Rock. I haven't seen The Rock, just his Transformers films and a couple like The Island and the uh, the um, Bad Boys films, which are like abominations, but they have these incredibly ac incredible action sequences in the middle of them. So he, he, he puzzles me. He does puzzle. He definitely does. 
Well, I look forward to doing some more Nick Cage at some point. Um, there was a lot of good recommendations in there, and I'm going to have to to get back to that eventually, I think. But yeah, it was a good week for movies. But the movie that we have come here today to discuss is a favorite of yours and a favorite of mine. Um, yep. We both enjoy science fiction. Um, we have had opposite takes on some recent science fiction that we're just not <laughs> going to get into. Um, Which one? I, I you know I don't remember. I I, there, I just can't remember. I, I think it's it's already departed my brain. That's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is that it's interesting, you know, how that can happen. Where two different types of sci-fi stories, one you and I have a polar, you know, opposite uh, opinions on, and then this one we have almost in lockstep an opinion on, and that that film is Joss Whedon's Serenity. Uh, the follow-up to his series Firefly, the ending of that series, um, the fan film, if you will, uh, of all fan films <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it's awesome. It is an awesome movie. Uh, and I just want to start, I think, by asking you what your experience with Serenity is. Particularly, did you... Were you a Firefly? Did you watch Firefly during its run and then see Serenity? Or were you late to the party? And if you were late to the party, are you a Firefly series and then Serenity guy or a Serenity and then Firefly series guy? Okay. I, I remember seeing uh, some tr uh, teasers for the show uh, on TV one, like once or twice back when it was running, which was a very brief t brief period of time and i thought that looks really weird spaceships and horses what the heck is this <laughs> and then i never really thought about it again and i know i know i saw the trailer for serenity sometime and i thought that looks pretty cool and i saw the dvd and picked it up on a whim and i watched it and i like i loved it it was my first I, i'm pretty sure it was my first experience with joss whedon and i don't know that I had ever seen dialogue that witty and that snappy and just beautiful uh, before. So I, I, I completely loved this movie. I watched it several times and then and and being on the internet, you hear about Firefly and how it's the best show ever and Fox is horrible because they canceled it and whatnot. They are. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I eventually went back and then watched Firefly through, then watched Serenity again and like this amazing movie is 10 times better now because I have all this context and all this character development building up. And so now I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of both uh, as far as which one first from react from things I've heard about from people who have seen the gone from the series into the film. I've heard negative reactions because of some shifts in tone and style and, uh, and some like fiddling with the character arcs that were mm -hmm. continuing over. And so on, I, I, I think I slightly prefer the film just cause it's a, just a more polished product as a whole. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I would say if I was advising someone to come to the series, I would say go watch Serenity first and if, and then watch Firefly and then watch Serenity again for like this beautiful experience of this wonderful sci-fi. That's awesome. I, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think it can go either way. Um, and I think that's part of the brilliance 
honestly, of what he accomplished uh, in that you could come to the movie sight unseen just just as a film it stands on its own merits it doesn't have to have the backstory of 11 or 13 whatever it is episodes to prop it up but yet if you have that backstory it at the same time does make it almost a little bit of a richer experience uh in many ways i i had i guess you know i watched the series late I didn't watch it in real time. Um, I came to the party late as well when I, you know, heard heard on the internet about Firefly. So I watched the series first um, and loved it. Of course, it's now a yearly rewatch for me. And then I watched the movie, and you know, I I think I did watch them back to back the first time. And so when you do that, that shift in tone you're talking about feels a little more ob- like it feels. It's more noticeable, right? When I watched the movie recently this last week uh, to take notes on it, I didn't think about that shift in tone because I haven't watched the series in quite a while. So when you're watching it as a standalone, you're not thinking about the progression that Mal has made over 13 episodes or, you know, how Simon is, you know, has progressed and is no longer you know, really, really crotchety. (laughs) And then all of a sudden now he's crotchety again, things like (laughs) that. Um, and you're just, you're taking it for, for its own storytelling piece. And yeah, I, I love it as well. I watch it all the time and I think it is, it is one of the best things ever. I love that you mentioned the dialogue because that is Josh's calling card. And that's why the legions of fans exist is because he can write something that is just amazing. Um, Have you gone back at all and watched any more of his library? I mean, I'm sure you've watched the Avengers, but you know, things like Buffy um, or his, his other stuff. I started Buffy, watched like two or three episodes. Um, I really, I just couldn't get into it. I, I see the sparks, like sparks of brilliance, but it's also just a really goofy, campy teen. Mm hmm whatever so it, it i i do want to go back eventually and watch that and angel and uh dollhouse and i think he has another series um my, yeah i, I want to go back and watch some of his uh some of his series but no i my all my experience has been with uh films and that like uh have you have you seen his his uh shakespeare uh much oh. uh, much ado about nothing adaptation no i'm you know it's i've meant to for so long. I almost actually went to a a Seattle international film festival. The year that this movie came out, had it as it's like, is it's, it was the highlight film or whatever. They had this big party and I tried to go to that and I, I missed out on tickets. And then for some reason I just never watched it. I know that I'm going to love it. I love the concept of it. Him just inviting his friends over to his house and making this movie. Is it good? I'm assuming it's amazing. It's it if you can enjoy Shakespeare, it's it's glorious. I think. Oh yeah, it's just his sense of humor and uh and uh Bill Shakespeare's apparently line up a bit because is there just it's it's an explosion of chemistry and you, you see all these actors that you've seen in other Joss Whedon things kind of ha- pop in for brief roles. It's 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 a lot of fun. It's just a really good adaptation and also. Like talking about how he just made it kind of on a whim in, in his break uh, between 
event in the his break in the Avengers filming. And then uh, it's kind of similar with the um, the Doctor Horrible sing along blog. It's another thing he made with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. This wonderful little comedy musical he made it like during the writers' strike because he had nothing else to do. It's like this this guy he's perfect. He really is. He he doesn't need he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need a budget. Just needs a couple of friends over and he'll make a masterpiece. He really I'm will. So jealous. Yeah, Serenity, you know, had a forty million dollar budget, and. When you see some of these incredible scenes, and there's not a lot of them, and that's probably why, but you know, when the Reavers attack, it, it doesn't look like a $40 million film. <laughs> it looks like a big-budget blockbuster. Yeah, there are a couple scenes, I think, where his ambition got a little ahead of the effects he had available, but I think there are also like starship battles that rival anything in Star Wars. So, And just in general... Like with all the fight scenes and general action pieces, action set pieces, it 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 is pretty astounding what he did with forty million. I I, I can't even comprehend how he did that because they make they make quiet costume dramas for forty million. I don't see how this works. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly no idea either. I'm hoping uh, to read up on that at some point. I'd like to you know dive into some history and try and find out if there's anything on the web of articles where he talks about that. Actually, have you, speaking of extras, have you watched the bonus content on the, the Serenity DVD by chance? Is it good? I was going to, I was going to do that this week and I didn't get around to that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, this is, I'm trying to remember. It was a while back. Okay. I, though I did last time I watched on the Blu-ray, I did watch through one of the featurettes, which was the same one that's also on the DVD like a 20 minute feature out of the making it's it's all really good back back behind the scenes stuff great i'll have to make it a point then it's it's definitely it's in my collection so i can i can do that at some point so i should say before we go much further for anybody listening we are going to spoil the heck out of this film it does have things that can be spoiled some movies don't really you know it doesn't really matter if you know the plot this one it's probably better if you've seen it before you hear us talk about it so if you haven't seen it, now's your cue to pause, go watch Serenity, come back. That being said, uh, Gabe, I want to start kind of at the beginning because from the jump, this movie does something that I think is very, very hard to do, but it does it very, very well. And that is the introduction and the backstory. Um, it, it, this film is trying to set up a universe that has been built over the course of X number of TV episodes, as well as a general idea of what our, our, you know, what the situation is for our characters. And that is a really, really hard thing to do. And what so many filmmakers tend to lean on is the monologue or the exposition or the narrate narrator who fills you in on what's what's the story so far and then it tries to go from there but in this one we get this almost inception like sequence of a thing happening within a thing happening within a thing happening we get you know we start mm-hmm. with river as a kid who's adorbs by the way um <laughs> like holy cow did you know that her voice was done by summer glow 
the kid. I can, I can, I can buy that. Yeah, the kid. Summer Glau wanted to do the voice for the young child River, which I thought was kind of neat. Random tidbit. Um, but we start with that. And then she, you know, she's getting a lesson from school, which is telling us kind of about the world. And then we, we move out from that and we, we find out, oh, well, this is just a memory inside her head. And then we move out from that and we find out that it's actually somebody watching a video feed of these things happening. And I just, I love it. I mean, that's the kind of filmmaking that gets me going as a viewer. Yeah, it's, it's so economical because you get one minute of exposition from the teacher gives us a basic construction of the world. Then we get a brief conversation that we realize what and that also sets up who Mal is talk where, um, where uh, river, she said, talks about how the Alliance is meddlesome and that that's basically all we need to know about Mal's character and all of that. And then as you said, it leads into the next scene with the escape, which happens very fast, which leads into the introduction of the operative and, just as a piece of storytelling, it's brilliant in, in just how economical it is and how it just moves the story along and gets us exactly where we need to be for the rest of the film. And all throughout the film, the exposition is very well – it's very subtle and almost just in bits of dialogue that feel completely natural. So like the, the only actual exposition is the teacher in the beginning. Everything mm-hmm. else is just completely natural within the flow. And considering that you're – that they are setting up this – this completely new world no one's ever seen before, or I hadn't seen before when I watched this movie. They do it. They do an incredible job. Yeah, they really do. I, you know, you can't say enough about like how hard that is or how, how difficult, like or it's just rare, you know, it's rare to see it done so well. Um, and that, and it speaks to more of Joss and his writing prowess and like the dialogue in general, the dialogue is just, I mean, it is the highlight of the film. You know, the dialogue makes these characters what they are. Are they great actors? Yes. But the words coming out of their mouth, the the design of the language for this world, Uh um, I love it. I mean, I love this blending of genres that we have. We have this this Western science fiction future. I mean, there's even medieval elements. I don't know if you noticed it all, but the Reavers have this medievalness to them kind of a Mad Max medievalness. But, yeah, I, I definitely got a mad, a strong Mad Max vibe. Oh, yeah. Well, there's one point where they're at the end when there's the big battle where they fire a um, a morning star projectile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, wow, okay, so we're just going to have like all kinds of different eras. But the idea and the concept of this world being, you know, that the United States and China have essentially come together. And so we have this mixture of western u.s speak with this chinese (laughs) you know they just burst into chinese at at any moment um it's it's phenomenal uh and i and i love that it's not subtitled that you don't always know what the heck they're (laughs) saying i think that's brilliant because it allows us to read the characters right and i and we get to that point with these characters and this building of them that i cannot think of a better praise than for me to say this is this actor or actress is this character and my comparison for this would be someone like tom cruise tom cruise is a fantastic actor and i love tom cruise but tom cruise is not any one thing to me 
I mean, there are there are roles that I see him as stronger in, but he's he's Ethan Hunt. He's Maverick. He's all over the place. He's he's all of these different things. When I think of Nathan Fillion, like there is no other person that can be Mal. Like it, it he and Mal are one in the same. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but about the language, I love how they, they it's a brilliant device because on the TV show just whenever a character would swear, they just go start swearing in Chinese so they could get away with the ratings. It's, it's just really it, and it it was that 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 thing wasn't needed in the film because they had a PG-13, but still it I think it it just makes the world that much richer when you have a character get mad and just spout off some phrase in Chinese it just works it could have been it could have been so clunky and yeah about Nathan Fillion why is this man not a megastar I got me I, I, I cannot fathom that because I'm sorry but Han Solo has nothing on Malcolm Reynolds I like Han Solo but uh as far if I'm going to have a space pirate I'm going to take a Malcolm Reynolds anytime agreed he's such he's just such a brilliantly written character and then with, as you said, Nathan Fillion, he, he just, he brings so many layers. Just, he does the witty dialogue like no one else. No one can do witty dialogue like uh, Fillion. But he also has these incredible emotional scenes like out of the blue. And it's just a wonderful layered performance. That you don't expect either. I mean, it's, that's part of it, I think, is that we've seen so many shows like this that, don't give us that depth. That's where Joss is just special. And and he surprises you because he, he does give his characters depth and he gives his characters a lot of heart um, and, and a lot of emotion. And, and yeah, it, watching, watching all of them just go through their different arcs uh, over the series. I mean, not necessarily in this film. Uh, they don't all have a very progressive arc in the movie um, is it's such a treat. And and that's probably if anything if I had to keep if I had to have one piece of negative feedback on it and and I don't even know if I'd use the word negative feedback is but you know it's hard to give all of these characters what you feel like is their just send off in screen time. Yeah. Um because you just can't cram that into a 2-hour movie. Uh you can't you can't give Jane and uh, Kaylee and Wash and Zoe and everybody equal amounts, but he does a, he does a wonderful job of of managing that, um, and giving them all kind of a role to play. What what do you think about the design? Um, since since this is science fiction slash science fantasy, you know, one of the big comparison points has to be we're talking spaceships. How do Serenity's spaceships and its world designs? stand up for you uh, in comparison to other major sci-fi universes? Mm. Well, uh, first, uh, just briefly about, about the, the production and design in general. What I love about it is it's so utilitarian and it, it, it just kind of, and it's not afraid to just stick in elements that we're familiar with. Like there's a lot of the same tools and guns and stuff that, that we, that we're familiar with. So it feels like this is a kind of a cobbled together future world that that, that, I, that did develop out of what we have now and as far as the ships i think the, the same goes for that i think they, they all they feel just very rugged and, and utilitarian and i, I think serenity is a, is a great looking ship i love the uh, the swiveling uh engines on the side um 
I guess that ships aren't really my thing. So I mean, yeah, I, I don't have much to say about it. But I really, I think as far as ships go, I do, I do like Serenity a lot. I think you brought up a really good point. Honestly, is that it fits the world building, right? This is a, this is the outer rim. This is the, the area that things are not the alliance. They're not fancy. They're not rich. Things are thrown together, and I think that the designs for those vessels and those colonies really give you that sense. Um, I I love Serenity too. I do love the ships, and I gotta say it it would be hard for me to put any other singular star ship or star vessel of any kind over Serenity. Just watching her fly off. Um, you know, with with spinning engines and and light up, lighting up, um, w- watching it land, uh, they're very organic in the way that the ships work. So there's a, a scene in particular in Serenity the movie where uh, the ship is coming down and the wings and the legs are folding and bending. They're not like just it's it, they're not robotic looking, and it almost looks like she's a bird, like yeah. literally like a bird, like landing. And then we get another view of this uh, later when we see the Reavers, which, by the way, is another just superb design. This Mad Max concept of skulls and spikes coming out of everything. And, I mean, on spaceships, right? Like, (laughs) that's freaking amazing. It looks awesome and scary. Um, But there's this one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie where Serenity is flying out trying to sneak her way through. Um, I think she's coming back the second time she's already gone through them once and then she's coming away and this reaver ship behind her, like kind of quietly and all dark starts to track her and then opens up and it's like a tick. It, it looks <laughs> like a, like a spider or a tick and it like opens up and it like starts to come after. And that's when the you know main big battle starts, but yeah, now gi- giant pincer arms. kind of Yes. Thing. Yeah. And it's, that's almost, that's another one that's very organic and just, I mean, it's, it's almost like someone made a robot, not a starship, but they made a robot and just threw it up into space, but it works. And so it's, it's really unique. And I just, mm-hmm. I love it. I love, I love how special they look. They don't just look like some other sci-fi and it's really easy to make it just, you know, it just looks like every other sci-fi at this point. We've seen so many that it's hard to surprise us, but he did. Yeah, a, a, I guess a lot of directors, when you if you have a budget and the ability to imagine something, they want to go really sleek or really crazy out there. Whereas I'm guessing a lot of it was budget constraints as well, <laughs> as to why Joss Whedon made such a uh, stripped down world. But it, it it fits the story so well. It does, and then, and then especially and then when you get oh I'm just now I'm going off on tangents with this, but like the way that Serenity dresses up as a Reaver ship is also just something I love about this movie. Um, both from a, honestly, both from a standpoint of the story, because it starts off with great. Well, they're not great. They're very emotional scenes. Uh, after Shepard book has, has died who, by the way, um, Shepard book is played by Ron glass. I believe his name is. Yeah. Is that right? And he passed away so. a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, interesting timing on this. Unfortunately, his time has come. Um, so he is no longer with us, but love him in this role. Uh, yeah. he's very, 
powerful character. Don't necessarily agree with his theology in this movie, but we're not going to get into that too deep. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting because he is he is uh, very instrumental, I think, in the main arc and themes of the film. He is. And I, yeah, I, it, I think the wording of what he says is really bad. I understand the sentiment. Exactly. I just. Exactly. But I think it contradicts itself because when he says believe and then they say the operative is a believer. Then you realize, yeah, belief might not be only just belief straight is not necessarily the best thing you need is it's, what you believe in. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's. I'm with you. It's it, it's an irritation, especially as someone who 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 likes philosophy and whatnot. So, but yeah. I, I, Ron Glass is fantastic. He, him and uh, him and I mean, I, every character in this film has wonderful chemistry with everyone else. It's just I think a testament of. of Whedon's direction and the actor's skill, but he has a great uh, dynamic with um with uh, Mal. He's like one of the few people Mal really respects and looks up to. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Like, like kind of like a sort of father figure, and uh, I think they 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 got along really well. And it's sad that um now that he's gone, I I don't think we're gonna get a Firefly uh, resurrection. Well, I think it was kind of a long shot before that, but <laughs> I don't know. I. You you think Whedon could do whatever he wants after two Avengers films? Uh, yeah, knows. you would, you would. But yeah, I mean, it. You're right. It speaks to the the respect that Mal has for Book as a character that we get that incredibly powerful emotion from him um, after the the passing, and he's saying, you know, you go get me three bodies and put them on the you know front of the ship. You go get me this and that, and and they're all like, and and he's like, anybody who doesn't agree with me, you either start walking or I'm shooting you. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, and and the thing is, you buy it. Like, it's it's like you said, not campy. It, it's not just there for the shock value, where you're like, oh yeah, he his character has to say that, right? Because it fits. No, like you can feel it in his character that in that moment he means it, right? He. He's not actually ever going to do that, but in that moment where he is in that place emotionally, he fully 100% means that. And that, yeah, that, Nathan, that's Nathan, great. Nathan Fillion is downright scary in that scene. He he is. He's terrifying and, and it's like it's unlike we've seen him before. And so that's what I'm really appreciative of is that Josh continued to give us these these flavors and these these variations of this these characters um in this follow-on movie that oh, gosh they're just so rich they're they're amazing uh, but yeah anyway my whole point was i love how that leads up to the ship getting dressed up as a reaver and then flying through the reaver space it's just a great scene visually um and, and a brilliant idea <laughs> stupid stupid idea uh but a brilliant idea and it and, and it, it is one of two scenes that i feel Actually, there's multiple things that I feel are are almost like they had to be intentional plays on Star Wars, right? So that scene makes me think of just trying to float through space and pretend that you're a piece of junk. Um, there's the fact that the Alliance in this film is the good guys. or I'm sorry, the bad guys. Uh, and the Alliance in Star Wars is the good guys. Um, and then there's the scene that leads up to the Reavers uh, where they come down on the planet where book has died. And I, I feel so much. It's like Luke coming back to Tatooine, 
and I just wanted to scream, Uncle Owen, you know, because <laughs> that's what it's like. They, it's like this deserty like planet. Everything's in fires. The stormtroopers have just gone through and killed everybody. That's exactly what it looks like has just happened. And story wise, it pretty much is. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty similar motivation. Yeah, I, I didn't think of that, but now that you mentioned it, uh, it definitely fits. And uh, about the reverse space, what I thought going through that was uh, it reminded me a lot of like a submarine film. Ooh, yeah. Where they're slowly sailing through and they got to be quiet and just these all these ships around them watching. It's, it's a very intense, creepy scene. It reminded me a lot of like U571 or other great robot um, submarine movies. Yeah, it really did. It actually harkens back to I just watched Crimson Tide uh, a couple weeks ago and there's a scene very similar to that where they're running silent and, you know, they're just you, – you get little shots of the crew members and they're just on on edge. Nobody wants to breathe because they're afraid they'll spark that, you know, understanding of somebody will notice them. It's, it's very much like that. Um, so uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention or talk about is the operative who we, we really haven't talked too much about. First yes. of all, <laughs> um, I'm just going to apologize now <laughs> for, uh, do you want me to do it? Yeah, I do want you to do it. <laughs> you just go ahead and let's, let's give him the, his due and say his name, right? I believe it's a uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Oh, I love it. That's way better than I was going to do. So thank you for that. <laughs> he is an amazing. And, and I was looking back at the filmography, trying to figure out when his breakout occurred. And this has to be close to it as far as getting recognition in a fan base, because he didn't do a lot before this, but man, is he amazing in this? And it's, it's incredible that they can add a character that has such chemistry and a dynamic that fit into these characters that have existed together for so long and it didn't skip a beat yeah he, he's he's fantastic do you know when uh children of men was released it, this was after it <laughs> yeah he he okay. isn't he this yeah that came after it and then ultimately yeah, 12 years part, of slave was his biggest i think yeah that, that's like where he kind of exploded and i, I think th- this should have been the film that he that he uh, is known for because he he is such he he's a perfect villain I think uh, I guess you have two streaks you have the Darth Vader pure evil just and then you have the more sympathetic villains and I think he's a he's the perfect example of, of a sympathetic villain um there's something so deeply human about Chiwetel Ejiofor just but maybe it's just he has these big sad eyes or something but you you immediately connect with him you believe you believe everything he says and you believe you believe he believes it yes yes and and so he's a character that he he does horrible things but he fully believes he's doing the right thing he believes in what he's what he's striving for and you never get a sense of sadism or cruelty or that he's taking pleasure in what's happening he there's he, he looks genuinely sad and heartbroken over some of the things he, he does or he believes he has to do. And it's like weird, like when he kills people, he takes a moment to quietly reassure them <laughs> as he's doing it. He, he's such a fascinating character. And like, like you want to hate him because of the horrible things he's doing, but you cannot help but connect with him in some way and respect him as a character. Yeah, and, I agree. Oh, I totally agree. He's 
it's a, he's a enigma in that way, you know, how it, it, again, again with Joss and the writing is a big part. I mean, the acting here is you can't ignore it. I mean, another actor or lesser actor couldn't pull that off. Um, which is why Joss, uh, you know, his casting choices are just wonderful. Yeah. Um, and a big part of that, he's got to find the people that can work with his dialogue, but the way that that character is written, as you mentioned, he, any lesser character would be almost mocking when they make these, these quote, uh, respectful kills. Um, you would, you would take it as again, campy if someone said, you know, Oh, you're going to die on this sword. And then actually made you fall on the sword. You'd be like, Oh, ha ha ha. Yeah. Funny thing. But in this, the way he reacts to it is, you know, he says specifically, he says, this is a good death. There is honor in this. And he means it. (laughs) He absolutely means it. Like he's, bought into his philosophy that you know what you made a mistake you have to pay the price for that this is just the way of things this is not personal this is not vengeful i am calm this is just what has to happen (laughs) and and it's scary but like i agree i connect with him as well and i love that he gets his own little kind of redemption art too um Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where you know where it, it's not all of this is not all a build up about Mal and him battling down to the end and then our hero vanquishing the villain. Mal on multiple occasions shows mercy, and that was that being one of them at the end of this. And well, I guess I call it mercy <laughs> in a way. Uh, in a way, he's kind of hoping for more pain for <laughs> for the uh, operative's <laughs> character actually in that moment. Um, you know, but but they do come together. And and talk about it afterward. But yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I just thought his character was amazing. The fighting in this film, speaking of him, yes. I, I the, there's distinct fighting styles for the operative for River, who I guess Summer Glau is a like a pretty world class ballet dancer and a, just a great dancer in general. And so there's elements of that built into her fighting scenes, especially the one in the bar where she goes absolutely bonkers nutso and just <laughs> takes out everything which is oh, such a great scene and then mal mal has this like very drunken pirate like fighting style you know yeah and it just i love that they're unique um they all work and it's fun to see them play off against each other like the operative versus mal yeah yeah i i i love fight scenes i like kind of study them and just how they're filmed and created so when I see a good fight scene, I, I get really excited. And this one has three fantastic fight scenes. Every, and each one of them would make any other movie, I think. And speaking of the, um, actually four, but, uh, yeah, a summer glow and the, the, the fight scene where she goes crazy in the bar that it, it, there's no other way to describe it. It's just beautiful. It's, it's very, it's smooth and dance. Like there's these long, tr- long tracking shots where she goes through this incredibly complex choreography, taking out multiple guys in just one shot. And it's just a really, there's no, there's like hardly any quick cuts. There's all wide shots. We, we can tell exactly what's happening. Every hit we see. And in the fights with uh, Mal and the, the operative, they feel brutal. We feel like 
the people are getting hurt with every punch. I'm wincing because you feel the impact. Um, just <laughs> Mal gets the crap kicked out of him so bad in these scenes. You, I, I feel so sorry for him just because how much just brutal punishment he takes. And uh, yeah, Nathan Philly plays that really well. And uh, just the, his fight scenes, because the, the, as you said, the uh, the different fighting styles, like the operative fighting style is very, it's very quick. And uh, uh, I used the term before, but utilitarian. There's nothing flashy about it. It's just as he's trying to get these people down as fast as possible. It's like very, very brutal. Yeah, it really is. It, he just wants to dispatch it and be over. And he says that too in that fight with Mal. They have that dialogue there at the end where he's like, "Listen, I, I'm not trying yet. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying. This is. I'm just. This should be over. Like, th- there's a way of things. Like, why are you making this difficult? <laughs> you know. And then <laughs> everything comes in to back him up. Um. So one thing I want to make sure we hit on um before we start to move toward the connecting point part of the show is uh, there's two, two big things I wanted to talk about. And one of those is um, the idea of just how well this film does something that is unique to Joss. And not that others have tried, have not tried it, but both in this and in one of my favorite horror films, uh, cabin in the woods. And that is his ability to play with tropes and expectations. Because this entire movie is done in a way that takes every single cliche and has its characters do the opposite thing. And there's multiple examples of this. Just my favorites are the scene of, you know, Jane arguing with Mal and screaming out and saying, you know, Mal's like, do you, do you want to, do you want to be captain? And Jane's like, yeah, I do. And Mal's just pauses and he's like, well, you can't. <laughs> and right. And like, that's, that's a moment that you would see in another film. And I just don't think there's any way in any other writer would have had Mal be like, well, uh, well, yeah. no, 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 that's not what you're <laughs> supposed to say. Right. Like Jane is not supposed to say yes. Jane's character is supposed to say no, like I don't need, you know, like he's supposed to come to his senses in that moment. And Jane's like, no, I want to be captain. Like, that's cool. Like I'll do it. And, um, you know, there's another one with Mal where, uh, he and Zoe are talking and Mal's like, all right, I'm going to go do this thing, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, if I'm not back in an hour, come rescue me <laughs> and, and see in any other film, right? That's instead of saying, come rescue me, he says, get out of here, get out of here and save yourself. But no, he's like, no, if I'm not back in an hour, you better come for me. And of course, Zoe's like, and risk my ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he he even begins his line as if he's he's like, if I don't come back, I want you to take this ship and come get me. <laughs> he's like, he's it's as if he's going to go into that cliche right there. But uh, and like another one where Mal's the type who'll just shoot down an unarmed man. Yes, yes. And then <laughs> and in any other scene that would have been a badass moment, but then <laughs> what happens is the operative just gets right back up and kicks the crap out of him. I know so, it's so good. The it's whole just, it's great. way that scene's built is brilliant. Yeah, it, it's constructed very specially, and um, I, I just love it. I love I love watching this with an intent to to kind of hone in on those moments and pay attention to them and 
it just speaks to how connected in general we are with this crew. I think this this movie, this series, this world, um, it has such a, spe- a special way of taking a science fiction story, and it and it's so it's usually sci-fi is about gadgets and about tech and about ideas, and those those exist. I mean, we have a very I think you mentioned this to me offline, almost libertarian thing going on here um, at times. But so there's politics going on in this world, but this is really about crew and it's about family. It's about closeness. And that's why when we lose our characters like Shepard Book and ultimately when we lose Wash, it's painful. And and I don't know about you. I'm kind of curious, actually, having... When you saw it the first time, I can't imagine that that death had nearly the same significance for you as it did after seeing the show. Am I correct? Um, I know I I liked Alan Tudyk as an actor, and he's a fantastic character in the film. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that it did. Uh, yeah, it didn't. I don't think it had as much impact as it did like the second time having seen the series. But what I love about that death, and what I think it it does for the film from a structure from a, uh, from a just a filmmaking standpoint is that it creates a sense of stakes a sense of real danger this film feels dangerous and the first time i watched this movie i fully expected half the crew to be killed in that in the last at the climax and that's yeah. not something i can say for most action films most action films you yeah sure there's suspense but you know everybody's going to be okay you don't know that in this movie because it is half the half the crew is like completely half either shot or cut up or just like Mal had the, just been beat up. So I think as a structural device, I think it's I think it had to happen to make this climax as good as it was. Um, yeah, I'm definitely sorry to see Wash go. And if there was say a resurrection of the show, then yeah, I would wish he hadn't been killed. But if we don't get one. I think if this is if this is the la- the show's last hurrah, I think I think it's a fitting end for the series. And it, it is. Yeah. I think so too. I think I think my problem with not problem, but my my heartache with Wash's death is just that he does everything right. He 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 doesn't make a mistake. He doesn't put himself in a bad position. He doesn't make a poor choice that leads ultimately to his demise or anything he does he literally does everything correct and then it's this non and this is a beauty of the storytelling you know even though it hurts me that's that's the point it's so jarring there's no build-up there's no dramatic you know scene that takes three minutes where we find this firefight or whatever and then all of a sudden and then we know it's coming we know it's coming it's a matter of when no the ship goes down and then whoop there he is and he's dead I mean, there's no gurgling, no last words. He's just dead and gone. And it's just a, a jaw drop moment because you're like, did that really happen? I mean, I cry every single time mm-hmm. that I see it. And and I agree with you. It, it's the building of stakes. It, it enhances this movie so much and takes storytelling like this up a notch. Um, much more so than when there aren't any. Because, I, I mean, you think that Kylie is dead or Kaylee. You think Kaylee's going to die. You think Simon's going to die. Yeah, they have some some fun banter there where she's like, you know, he <laughs> he talks about 
having sex with her and she's like, well, I'm not dying now. Right. But, yeah. but like you fully, I, I, you, the Reavers are coming. And after it's because we've seen book die and we've seen wash die that in that moment, it's like, you know what? They're probably going too. And so it's yeah. great that then they don't. So yeah, I just, I love the way all of those are handled, but at the same time, they really do affect me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like that good. And it's a good thing, but it's a, it's a hurt harm or it's a hard to deal with thing. Yeah. And one last thing I, I would never forgive myself. If I didn't mention was this, the opening scene, uh, the, the tracking shot through the spaceship that introduces every character oh, and each one yes. of them gets a brilliant bit of dialogue. I mean, yes, I, I, I could go on and on just how amazing that scene is. And it's hysterically funny. Uh, I love Wash's lines and it just, it, 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 it immediately, throws us in we know we know every one of these characters now it it uh, sets it sets the tone of the film and it also in the middle of that we have the conflict between mal and simon set up it's a brilliant scene it really is yeah he's i mean no one else could do this it's it's the beauty of joss it, it really is and um you know we say it all the time in joss we trust and there's a reason and this is a perfectly great example of that it's a wonderful film, um, and I hope I hope that over time more and more people see it and realize it for the great standalone piece of science fiction storytelling that it is, um, yeah. and not just oh they made that movie about Firefly. Um, yeah, this this film has ev- everything that I look for and ask of an action film. It has it and m- even more. Yes, it does. Well, let's go ahead and move into our connecting point, um, which is the moment in the show where we hold back like one scene or one big idea to talk about. Just kind of what's the thing that for you really resonated the most about the movie? Like what what do you connect with, for lack of a, of a better adjective, I guess, um, about Serenity uh, what do you think about long after it's over? And I'll let you uh, start. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing that always gets me every time I watch this film is just watching uh, Mal's arc. And it's even more meaningful if you've seen the show. But I think it works well enough in the in the film as well. Is where you see a character who at one time was apparently very principled and very – idealistic and passionate and while he's still a passionate character he had all of that taken away from everything he believed in was uh lost and so he's turned into while while he has his quips and he's he's turned into a much uh a darker character and he he tries to convince people he doesn't believe anything and I think the one th- he's retreated into the uh, this idea of a crew and a family, and that's like where he's he's now thrown everything, whatever he, whatever he has left of his worldview, he's brought back into this family and this crew, and the world can go to hell kind of kind of idea, and you do see throughout the show that he yeah he he he'll do the right thing when he's pushed, well some of the time, but <laughs> yeah he he, uh, <laughs> he he's like he's not an evil character he's just kind of drifting and so when when he find, when he, when he goes to uh shepherd book the first time and he says like a storm's coming that you've never seen before you have never dealt with an operative like this 
And you you need to change. You need to start believing in something. You need to have some kind of anchor to carry you through this. And and then as the things like his security is taken away, as the operative says, if you're up, if your prey goes to ground, leave no ground for it to go to. And and everything that he all of security is taken away bit by bit. And he's left with nothing. Or almost nothing. And just the, the uh, kind of death's inevitable. All his all his sanctuary is taken away and there's nowhere to go. And in that moment where he talks to Shepherd Book, and Shepherd Book is that awful advice, but <laughs> <laughs> and but then he goes and has a brief conversation with the operative. And it's like something clicks and he just decides, screw it. I'm going to war. <laughs> he essentially declares this one man war on the Alliance to go and find out whatever happened at Miranda. And there's these two, two scenes that, are, that were first one after he talks to the operative and goes out and just has this brilliant monologue where he just tells his crew, this is what's happening. We're going to fight. You don't like it. You can leave. Just either sh- leave or shut up basically. Mm-hmm. And, then they go through and then when they see what's happened on this uh, on this planet where the the uh, the alliance put this gas in that killed half the population or, or created, the, created the reavers yeah it killed the entire population and, and uh, created the reavers at a small percentage and he has another really awesome monologue where he just tells the crew like we have to do something we have to speak for these people he you can see that he's finally come to believe something he's come to he's come back to his convictions that he had back during the war and essentially it's just i don't care if we die this is not right what what happened here is not right and it's like if i know anything about the alliance they're going to try it again they're going to there's this awesome line where he talks about where the the alliance will do it again because they they, they believe that they can make people better yeah yeah it's a fit and so i just love his arc from where he starts out and the struggles and all the struggles he has to go through to where he gets to the, by the end where He's facing the operative, and the operative says, um, "Well, essentially, like, uh, is this worth dying for? Do you be- do you believe you have to do this, and do you believe it's worth dying for?" And he says, "Yes, it is." And that's kind of like the culmination of his arc. Yep. And I, I uh, Dathan Fillion plays it beautifully. He plays the humor beautifully, and then, and then when it goes dark, he's legitimately scary. Yeah, yeah, he really is. I think that's awesome, and I I love that you ran through kind of the the high points or the the major plot points in the movie of his arc um, because you know it is from the beginning of the show leading up until the movie and then that moment you know he is a pirate he's a running guy he, he doesn't fight he's that's his that is his Han Solo coming back to fight for the rebels moment you know um, it's a great yeah. you know that you made that comparison earlier um, between the two of them they are very similar in some ways um, and I, I love it too I think it's it's necessary uh, for that story to be complete for that hero's journey to take place. You know, th- that's part of the hero's journey uh, in that storytelling device. He has to come back. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, mine is my connecting point is love. <laughs> um, true, love. true love. Yeah. Wrong movie, but, <laughs> but one of it's my, never the wrong movie, never the wrong movie. I agree. We agreed on something again. That's twice in one podcast, Gabe, People are not going to know what to think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, love. Love is to me a powerful theme that is running through this film, um, mainly expressed, you know, g- generally so from the crew uh, and how they go about interacting with each other. 
But two big scenes that I want to use to talk about that. The first is the operative um, during this initial opening sequence where he's watching the video of River and Simon breaking her out and they pause and uh, he points out Simon's expression. And one of the people watching the video with him says, oh, you know, he looks like he's mad. And the opera says madness, which, oh, my gosh, Edgio Force acting right there. The, the facial expression he, when he says madness, like, are you crazy? I mean, I just love, love his expression. Um, he says, have you looked at this scan carefully, doctor? At his face, it's love in point of fact, something a good deal more dangerous. And mm-hmm. I fully believe that. Um, I, I believe that that is true in this universe and to some extent, you know, in our world, again, without getting too philosophical or, or spiritual and theological here, I mean, that can be taken, that idea can be taken too far. So love is not the end all be all, <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, of everything, wrong? of everything, but in this movie, um, <laughs> uh, he's right. And in that scene, you know, Simon is more dangerous because of his love for river. Um, and the thing about it is that love is a personal choice. You know, we don't always choose when we kind of go crazy or when we act out and we, we lose a little bit of control of ourselves, but love, he, he makes that decision to defy the Alliance um, and their control of, of river. The other scene that really makes this whole thing work is the final scene between Mal and River. And Mal says to her, he says, he he talks straight up about it. He says, love. He says, you can learn all the math in the verse, but you take a boat in the air that you don't love. She'll shake you off just as sure as the turning of the worlds. Love keeps her in the air when she ought to fall down. Tells you she's hurting before she kneels. Makes her a home. And River says, storm's getting worse. And he just says, We'll pass through it soon enough. And Mm -hmm. for me, this scene does two things. It connects Mal and River and ends the series because these two characters have never seen eye to eye. These two characters have always been at odds. Mal trying to understand her. And I don't mean necessarily in a conflict way, but his understanding of who she is as a person even as seeing her as a person, the two of them have not connected before like this. And this is a moment where they both appreciate and respect each other. And of course it's the brilliance of Joss's dialogue that gives it to us. But then for me as a fan and who just loves this and understands that it is a passion project, I feel that Mal's speech really is like Joss talking about Firefly this movie was made for fans. Um, and to me, serenity, the movie is the boat and it has become a home for so many, the series and the movie. And so the fact that he ends all of that with this hopeful statement that despite the challenges, despite as river says, the storm getting worse, Joss and the fans will, will pass through it soon enough together. And I just, I, I love thinking about it in those terms of both Joss and the fans, as well as the characters in our show, because they're a family and they go through these things together. And so 
it always gets me. <laughs> um, it always mm-hmm. leaves me emotional. I, I run the gamut of emotions during this movie, which is high praise and one of the things that I look for in the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah, and that, 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 uh, as you're talking about the uh, the the relationship between uh, Mal and River, I, I I really like how they 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 also conclude River's arc in that scene as well, where she has finally found healing and found her place by getting this hor- horrific secret off her off her chest. It's kind of like where the the the, the Bible verse, "The truth shall set you free," essentially, where she's eventually she's finally freed from all her torment and. It's another connecting point that really works for me. Yep. That's agreed. Agreed. Well, man, I am really glad you got to come on the show. Um, I had a lot of fun. I really did. And um, it's a blast. I think we picked the right movie. I'm yeah. glad we got to talk about this one. I don't know when I would have ever gotten around to it uh, before this. So uh, it worked out really well that the schedule kind of, fluctuated some and we were able to pick something like this and throw it in because um, it was it was a lot of fun and I think um, you've brought up some stuff that's going to make my next viewing a little bit different make me hone in on some different pieces and, and take note of them and I hope that our conversation as a whole does that for the listeners as well but I want to give you a moment um, to tell people where they can find your stuff and where they can listen to more of your podcasting in your projects and your thoughts on movies in general. Yeah. Well, first I just want to thank you for having me on. I, any, any opportunity to talk about a uh, serenity that I always take it. So Good yeah, thanks for that. You're very welcome. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, uh, I have also have a podcast. It's called underrated. Uh, we were basically, we review underrated movies. It's a real creative title. I know, but <laughs> it so, works. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Yeah. So we, uh, me and my friend James, we once a week pick up, pick a film that we just think do- that doesn't get enough love that we wish had more love or is controversial or forgotten. And we just talk about it, talk about why it's a good movie and why people should watch it. So yeah, check that out. We're on Facebook as un- the, as underrated podcast and on Twitter as underrated underscore underscore pod. And I'm also on Facebook as Gabriel green. Feel free to shoot me a friend request. Um, yeah, that's about it. It's good stuff. What's your next episode coming up? Next episode is on uh, Bernie. Bernie. Awesome. Yeah. And you just dropped, I think, a Knight's Tale last yes. week, right? That yeah. was last week's episode. I haven't got a chance to listen to it, but I'm really excited because it's one that Patrick and I eventually are going to do. And, uh, oh, man, I completely agree with that pick of it being an underrated movie. I don't, I don't know if – for anybody who's a longtime listener of our show, it's interesting because we started off with a very similar idea um, – and, and ours kind of evolved and changed a little bit in scope. And so it makes me very happy that you exist and that you're filling that specific role because we kind of stopped doing <laughs> intentionally what we thought were underrated films. Um, but I think that it's very important. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to break out in a niche uh, and do something that is unique when it comes to talking about film. And so I think that your show offers people a very special thing that they can't get other places because these are films that other podcasts just aren't talking about hardly ever. Things like the Prince of Persia, man, I love that movie. Like nobody <laughs> like, you know, you know what I mean? And so the fact that you guys cover it and bring um, publicity to that and attention to that and do such a great job, you and James of 
walking through it and outlining why a movie is underrated from, you know, I mean, everything's subjective, but you hit the objective points as best you can as well. And so anyway, I just love your show. Just, yeah, people go, people go download underrated, check out Gabe, subscribe to him as well. Uh, when it comes to us, if you want to feel us feeling, if you want to feel us, (laughs) uh, that's what she said. No, I've been watching the office, so I have to, um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at feeling film, Facebook, feeling film, uh, whatever it is, facebook.com slash feeling film. There's a Facebook group. That's where all the conversation really happens during the week. Join that. Come join it. Get in it. Talk. Uh, communicate. People are very chatty. Uh, it's a great place. Next week, we are going to be doing uh, The Incredibles. Patrick is gone again. Ooh. Yeah. So we're having another guest co-host. That'll be Blaine Grimes from uh, Real World Rewind. will be joining us, and I am pretty excited about that. We will also be dropping a mini-sode in a few days on Hell or High Water, which upon my recent rewatch, I gotta say, is gonna contend for my top film of the year at this point. It's it's in the conversation. So it's fantastic. I can't wait to talk about that one uh later this week too. So hope you subscribe. If you like us, drop us a rating on iTunes. Same thing goes for Gabe's underrated podcast. iTunes reviews means so much to us. You put in some words, gets us more visibility, tells people why they should be listening to the show, why you like it, and very grateful but that is all we've got so until next time stay positive and keep feeling filled